live from the Boom Tube. And here are your hosts, the Thought Bubble Boys, Vinny and Captain. Hello and welcome back to Live from the Boom Tube. I'm one of your hosts, Vinny, and my friend over here is. I am Captain. Yeah, there he is, Captain Caveman himself. Don't call him that. My dad calls him that. Captain Cave. Your dad calls me <laughs> Captain Caveman. Yeah, my dad calls you Whoa. when in referring to you when you're not there. My dad is like, "What's Captain Caveman up to these days?" <laughs> so I hope next time you come over for dinner, you roll in through the door like Captain Caveman. Every time I ask your dad something, I'm just gonna end the sentence with Ooga Booga. I think he would get a real, <laughs> real kick out of that. He'll just be like, "Why do you keep saying that?" And then eventually he'd get it. You know, like his own joke is so good that even he can't get it. <laughs> he don't understand. He's an old man. You know, he'll he'll remember eventually. His brain just doesn't work, you know, super quickly. Well, I don't know whether to be insulted or complimented by a name like Captain Caveman. I apparently look or act like a caveman. That's OK. I think it's your raw sexual energy <laughs> is what it is. I That's exactly what your dad thinks of me, isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it? That's absolutely it. <laughs> the family secret's out. We're all really in... All the DeFeos are really into Captain. Yep, yep, yep. That's true. All those dinners now make sense. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, for issue number four. We are back. And Captain and I both had some pretty interesting comic book store adventures this week. Um, I got to spend some time at House of Secrets in Burbank, California. A really, really amazing little shop. Got to spend some after-hours time with one of the uh, clerks at the store, Leland. Very cool dude, just kind of broed out for a little while. I wound up picking up the first two volumes of Neil Gaiman's Sandman series, uh, which is my favorite series of all time, and finally I'm collecting it in physical copies. And Captain had a much more interesting comic book store adventure this week. Captain, you want to tell us about that for a little bit? Well, as always, I usually have the weirder adventure of the two. But... They seem to find you, you know? <laughs> they do, they do. Um, well, my, my comic store experience picking up the books this week was relatively quiet up until I was checking out. I had this, uh, this clerk, he was watching some soccer, and he had a really thick accent that I'm not going to be able to do any justice. But as I'm checking out, he said something like, Eight dollars is your total. Stay out of school. Stay out of the sunlight. Keep reading. And hail Hydra. <laughs> and he said that all really quickly. And as I'm like putting my books in my bag, I'm like, hang on. Did you just say hail Hydra? Yes, I did. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay then. Well, hail Hydra. Bye. <laughs> I'm, I'm not <laughs> really sure. <laughs> I'm not really sure you can say Hail Hydra to a person in 2019. Like, we all know who Hydra is. Well, they're just, like, comic book sci-fi Nazis, right? Like, right. But, like, can you really say, you know, hail the sci-fi Nazis to a person in public nowadays? Like, I'm not sure. In California, of all things, uh, too, yeah. Uh, right? I guess it was just so nerdy that it was okay yeah in the moment it's okay which is so dorky it couldn't possibly be offensive when with the in crowd it makes sense but if you caught a lay person with a hail hydra they might be like is this guy a nazi <laughs> what's going on here i'm confused <laughs> that was at least my first reaction i was just like hmm strokes beard a little bit <laughs> Yeah, and just to do my own local comic book shop plug, uh, the place I went to that hails Hydra is Mega City One in Melrose. So if you're in California and you happen to be in Melrose, give this shop a look because it they got it all. 
and it is a cool spot to get some books. Yeah, and they do uh, pretty regular Magic the Gathering tournaments there as well, uh, all kinds of board game nights over at Mega City One. So uh, if you're ever in the LA area, both House of Secrets and Mega City One are great, great comic shops. We buy all, mostly all of our books at either one of those places, so definitely, definitely drop in if you have the time. Um, so, Kevin, I think it's about time that we, we introduced our books this week. Well, we can't do that yet. Why not? Because first, we have to jump into the boom tube. Are you ready to jump into the boom tube? Why are you, why are you panting so hard? Because it takes a lot of energy to do this four times, and really specifically four times. So, are you ready to jump into the boom tube? Yeah, I'm ready to right, jump you ready? the boom tube. You ready? Why from the boom tube? <laughs> 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 oh boy all right what's first Vinny? so today on our docket we're going to be talking about three excellent issues this week uh first up from image comics we're going to be talking about a kick-ass new series we're really stoked about called undiscovered country number one uh written by scott snyder and charles sewell two pretty well acclaimed writers in the comics community and captain and i were both fucking stoked Doked about this book. Cannot wait to talk about this. Captain straight up texted me midday before I even had a chance to read it. it was like, yo, undiscovered country. Holy shit. Uh, and it did not disappoint. Not at all. Uh, after that, we're going to be talking about a series I am so excited for. I've been waiting for this probably since I started reading comics. Uh, DC's Legion of Superheroes number one, the reintroduction of the classic teenage super team into main DC continuity written by the legendary Brian Michael Bendis. Bendis. Uh, Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis. What a name. Yeah, I gotta love that double B. <laughs> you like that B. I, oh, yeah. And then finally, we're going to be talking about a really heavy metal series from Marvel today, Ghost Rider number two. Can you rev your motorcycle for me, Captain, real quick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, park that fucking thing already. Thank you. Got any more? No, I, I stopped it. Okay, we're good. Nice. <laughs> so, without further ado, let's get started talking about Undiscovered Country. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah is right, Vinny. Oh, yeah is most certainly right. There's so much to uncover in this book, so much to talk about. But first off, Vinny, uh, talk to us a little bit about this creative team on this book. Oh, man. Big fan of both of these writers. Um, we've talked a little bit about Scott Snyder on the show previously. For those of you that don't know, Scott Snyder made his big jump to primetime comics writing the Batman title over at DC for quite a few years. Uh, he's not writing the Batman title anymore, but he's taken the themes and concepts from his Batman series onto higher and higher levels in the DC plane, writing big events such as Dark Knight's Metal, as well as taking over the Justice League comic fairly recently to write his Justice Doom War, which is pretty exciting stuff. Scott Snyder is one of the hottest writers at DC Comics right now and has been for a couple of years. He's one of their primetime guys. So anything Snyder is worth reading. As for Charles Sewell, um, 
I first uh, came across him when he wrote She-Hulk a few years ago, a really interesting um, kind of funny like like law humor book is <laughs> as weird as it is to say uh charles sewell i believe was a lawyer before he started writing comics so uh jennifer walters the she hulk was a perfect character for him to hop into and it was a really pleasant really fun uh 12 issues i never expected to like a she hulk comic before but sewell's uh she hulk was really really a blast so she hulk is a lawyer yeah she's one of the like you know you got daredevil who's a lawyer and you got she hulk and go figure charles sewell has written both of those characters so if you hulk, got a- hulk litigates <laughs> hulk objects hulk at your defense <laughs> hulk find you guilty <laughs> well unfortunately there wasn't as much of that as you'd like at the time uh, uh, jen had her hulk personality kind of under control but i would love to see you know hulk suited up in the courtroom at some point <laughs> um and that's Charles- so cute Sewell's a great writer and is a workhorse and you can really tell that they both snyder and Sewell put their creative metal together to kick out one of the coolest books of the year like i haven't been this stoked about an indie comic in years to be honest with you so undiscovered country number one opens up in the sky and out of the clouds appears a helicopter flying over the ocean and the next thing we know we see inside the helicopter and there's a team in this copter kind of on edge like not really sure what they're about to get themselves into just as much as we don't know what we're about to get into they're a little hesitant because whatever their mission is it's dangerous we don't know quite yet what it is until we turn the next page And once we turn the next page, you see the words, Welcome to the United States of America. And the clouds open up, and all we see is the coastline of the United States guarded by an enormous fortress-like wall. And immediately, the reader looks at that page and is like, What the fuck happened? So before we get any further with our characters... Let's talk about how we got here to a walled-off, hidden United States of America. So over the course of the book, we get sort of a a history lesson on the new state of the world. We find out that this story takes place somewhere about a hundred years from now. And in the world of undiscovered country, there are two major political alliances between Europe and Africa and between the entire Asian bloc and the Pacific. What's missing from the state of affairs in the world at the time is the United States. We find out that 30 years ago, the United States built up a wall around the entire outside of the country and completely sectioned itself off from the rest of the world. No one knew what happened. All of a sudden, the U.S. went dark. The map just disappeared, and nobody has heard anything from inside its walls in 30 years. And finally, what brought our team that's in this helicopter together was a transmission from inside the United States guaranteeing important information. So right off the bat, we have a really fascinating world that is built. Because imagine how everything would change today if all of a sudden a country just dropped off the face of the map. A major political power just decided no contact with the rest of the world. And that's what you get in this book immediately. So the page immediately after seeing the wall for the first time, our main characters in the helicopter are shot down by a missile from within the United States. And as the missile is about to strike, our main character, Dr. Charlotte Graves, says the words, Oh no. 
we cut to one week earlier in Athens, Greece, part of the Euro-Afrique Alliance. And there are other things happening in the world other than the disappearance of the United States. A deadly virus has spread across the rest of the world, infecting people, dropping straight from the sky. It's called Sky. Yeah, it's literally <laughs> called the Sky Virus, which is not the most creative name the you could come. The sky is going to kill you. <laughs> Just like, okay, guys, guess we got a disease now. Great. And the virus is so prevalent and so terrible that uh, everyone's looking for a roof to cover themselves from whatever's falling from the sky. Not only from the virus, but from the uh, antiseptic that the governments are just, like, dropping on people. So on top of the, like, illness that's happening, they're also getting, like, healthy, quote-unquote, healthy chemicals dropped on them, which is all bad. It's, like, legitimate chemtrails. Yeah. (laughs) Like, if chemtrails were real, that's what's happening, you know? Um, And Dr. Charlotte Graves is helping people affected by the sky virus. Um, She loses a patient. And is then confronted with a man in, like, a flight mask. Oh, this dude's fucking cool. This dude is so fucking cool. He's got, like, aviators. He wears, like, a jacket, I think. He's He looks like Master Roshi. Uh, if you don't know who that is, uh, Dragon Ball, old man, sunglasses, completely bald. Um, likes butts. Likes butts. <laughs> he looks like that guy, but way cooler, honestly. And he holds an umbrella over Dr. Graves, shielding her from this pink antiseptic government bullshit. It's a pretty awesome intro to a character. You've got this bad motherfucker just, like, holding an umbrella like he's fucking Mary Poppins or <laughs> some shit. Dude. My, My dude. My guy <laughs> coming in. And Colonel Bukowski says to, to Dr. Graves, hey, do you want to help on a grander scale because we need you right now? <laughs> Bukowski tells her there has been a transmission sent from within the United States out to the peoples of the world. And Dr. Graves is like, oh shit. All right, I'll, I'll come with you, fucking umbrella wielder man. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut two days later to a meeting in Istanbul between members of the Euro-Afrique Alliance and the Pan-Asiatic Prosperity Zone, two factions that have been butting heads for quite a while since U.S. went off the grid. But we receive this transmission from this man that looks straight up like fucking Colonel Sanders meets like Clint Eastwood. No, he, he looks like Uncle Sam. Well, he does look like Uncle Sam, but Uncle Sam also looks like Colonel Sanders meets Clint Eastwood, <laughs> you know? Colonel Sanders is an American icon. American icon. Truly, truly. And I say Colonel Sanders because he's wearing like a white coat and he's got like tuft, uh, like a tuft beard, you know? And Colonel Sanders, I'm going to call him Colonel Sanders from now on. <laughs> so Colonel Sanders, he says outright, he's like, guys, we see what's happening We know you've got this virus that's spreading anywhere and you don't know what to do about it. And we know we've been off the grid for quite a while, but we're thinking that maybe it's time for us to take our place back as the helpers of the world. You know, some classic fucking American braggadocio. And he's like, we have a cure. We have a cure for your disease. If you want it, come and meet us on our soil and we're going to be discussing terms. And then that's the end of the message. And Colonel Sanders signs off on this transmission and says the words, See, the truth is, we're very proud of what we've become here. Perhaps it's time to be that shining beacon again. So, if you're ready, we'll send coordinates. Follow the rules, and you'll be our honored guests. And all these people in this room, 
are sitting there like, well, fuck, this could be a trap. We haven't heard from these people in 30 years. What the fuck is beyond these walls? But the situation is dire. People are dying, and there's no cure for this disease anywhere in sight. We cannot continue to be living like this. So we're introduced to the team. We have Dr. Graves, who is going to be our main character through this series. Bukowski, who's sort of the uh, independent pilot, uh, doesn't really feel kind of any, any which way about either alliance. You've got one diplomat from the Asian zone. You've got one diplomat from the Euro-Afrique alliance. And you have an expert on American history and a journalist. Oh, dude, the, the historian guy is fucking, his name is fucking awesome. Ace Kenyatta. Ace Kenyatta, Ace dude. Ken, Dr. Ace Kenyatta, motherfucking. And he looks like wow. such a bro. What a name. Like, I don't know if you noticed this when you read Captain, but he straight up shows up to the secret, like, cabal meeting wearing, like, a basketball jersey and, like, <laughs> yeah. basketball shorts. He's got his, like, head shaved. He looks like he might be, like, 17 tops. But he's the, like, American, like, cultural historian. Ace Kenyatta. Ace Kenyatta. Ace Kenyatta. Um, and he's just stoked to see what's, what's going on beyond the walls. Like, over the course of this issue, in the face of all kinds of dangers, he's like, but isn't it cool? Like, we haven't seen America in, like, 30 years. Isn't this shit sweet? <laughs> um, and the final member of this secret cabal is Dr. Graves' brother, who, lo and behold is the only person known to have breached the American walls. We don't know how he did it or why he did it, but he's the only person in the room that has actually been to America. So they have an American culture expert, someone who's been on American soil in the past 30 years, two diplomats from the opposing nations, a journalist, a doctor, and Bukowski. Bukowski! <laughs> My dude. You shall be called... The Fellowship of the Ring. Nice. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Shameless Lord of the Rings plug. Captain had to pause the podcast as we were recording to be like, hold on. <laughs> I got I, this joke. <laughs> I got this bit right here. I do this joke really bad. <laughs> and he just had to squeeze out his Lord of the Rings juices real quick as we've assembled this crew. So thank you for that. I appreciate just so you doing all that. you know, Lord of the Rings is my fucking favorite. Yeah, Gandalf was part of the Mount Rushmore. Don't you forget it. Cut back to the present, and we see our team has crash-landed in the United States. Uh, the helicopter is totally fucked, uh, and Bukowski's the only dude, the only man, man enough to fix this big man machine. And the rest of them are like, what the fuck do we do now? Can I just say, Colonel Bukowski can fix a helicopter that's been shot by a missile. By himself. <laughs> with his bare hands. Like, Jesus fucking Christ, With a dude. bunch of scraps. You're too, you're too fucking cool. Uh, I hope you live. The rest of the team sees a light out in the distance. And having no idea where they are or what happened, it's the only uh, beacon forward that they have. So they decide to go and follow this light. They follow it to its natural end. And lo and behold is an old boob tube television crackling with static. So the television is flickering and not quite playing anything, but the light is on. And as the, they're all staring at this television, we get an incoming transmission from Bukowski, who says that something is approaching him far back with the helicopter. And that sounds bad. Captain, why don't you tell us what exactly is approaching our poor boy Bukowski? 
how to describe this. Imagine if Mad Max went to a fucking aquatic zoo. <laughs> I guess that would be an aquarium. <laughs> but they've enlarged every animal, and all the animals that you would normally see floating in water are now land creatures. So you got a big blue and purple shark. You got eels. You have a massive piranha fish. You have turtles pulling tanks. You have, like... Uh, muscle cars with like octopus pulling them. You have a fucking submarine that's been turned into like a bus that's being pulled by a jellyfish and has a cat on a spear hanging on top of it. I mean, what the fuck is going on here? Like, this was the last thing I was expecting <laughs> to see when I opened this book up. I was expecting this like geopolitical thriller and then all of a sudden you get to this page and it's like fucking like the island of Dr. Mad Max out here with like <laughs> mutant animals and tanks and, and like gas, you know, and like shit is awful. It's and the bad. Colors are it's bright. It's really bad. Like blue and green and brown and red and everything is, it just looks like a fucking blacklight painting all of a sudden. <laughs> like, you know, I always wondered what a Mad Max version of the United States would look like and I did not think it would look like this fucking shit. And you got these, like, dudes that look like mummies, like, riding buffalo for some reason. Yeah. Oh, like dude, this guy is cool. <laughs> so this this dude wearing, uh, like, a ski mask and, like, tinfoil rides up to Bukowski on the ground. And he's riding a bison. And the bison's got, like, red fucking eyes. It's got, like, a skull on it. And, man, this part fucking... I. It's so fucking cool, but it also hurts me so much to look at because it's Bukowski. But this bison starts gnawing off Bukowski's leg, and he's like, ah! And as this is all happening, this tinfoil ski mask motherfucker is like, no foreign boots shall ever set foot on American soil. Wow. What the fuck is going on so here, So fucking man? metal out of <laughs> nowhere. And so our group is all watching this, and they're like, uh, uh, we're all going to die. That cow is, like, eating someone. And Ace Kenyatta's like, it's an American bison. <laughs> Just, like, like dropping his fuck, knowledge. Kenyatta? Like, Ken what? <laughs> Kenyatta gets, like, so stoked, like, later on. They, like, escape this, uh, this, like, Mad Max hell and Kenyatta's like, but did you see all the Cadillacs and, like, the Mustangs? <laughs> There's like, a Cadillac! There's a bison there! And they're, like, wrapped up in, like, the same tinfoil that they wrapped up, like, the space shuttles in. Like, isn't that <laughs> yeah, cool? that's, like, a legitimate point he makes. And this is all bad and all, but then they turn around to run away, and there's an even bigger crew, an even more bizarre crew at that, coming towards them from the other side. I think my favorite part of this group... <laughs> Is the giant manta ray like yeah. pulling the fucking like semi rig? Y yes, <laughs> that's know? the first thing you see. There's just like a manta ray just pulling this thing, and behind it, there's like houses that are being pulled by animals. There are more trucks and tankers, it's like and a then bunch behind of all of that, there's a like helicarrier, a fucking helicarrier being pulled by who the fuck knows what. And so now our heroes are like, well. We're in between a rock and a goddamn hard place. And all of a sudden, another person wearing ski goggles shows up. And this is actually a really cool part, Vinny, because uh, at first, the group of heroes is kind of like, Hey, hey, fuck, identify yourself. I don't know who you are. You're going to kill us, probably. But this guy opens his jacket, 
and he says, see, there she is, old glory, all good, all good. And on this person's shirt is an American flag as we know it. Which makes it really interesting because there are no American flags on this Mad Max aquatic life fuck party. Uh, they fuck have this party. <laughs> it might as well be. The symbol these marauders use is very minimal, but it's very different from anything we've ever seen. It's literally just a red and blue X across a flag. And all these marauders' vehicles have it. So something is going on here with how certain groups are identifying America on American soil. So now there's a clear uh, division between how certain factions in the United States now view the United States itself. Got obviously one group that maintains the old values of the United States. This guy in a ski mask and a trench coat wears the flag on his chest. And then we've got the fucking like road warriors, like, you know, hauling ass and they're like sh ramshackle shanties. They're being pulled by, you know, mutant creatures. And then you got like the dude with the flag shirt, you know, <laughs> like the odds are not in this guy's favor, but he helps our heroes escape to a uh, small little bunker that he has. And he keeps talking about the destiny man. If we stay out here too long, the Destiny Man's wolves will get us. Uh, which is a really badass fucking way to put all that shit. Um, They're not quite wolves. <laughs> no. They're definitely not wolves. There's definitely no wolves on that page. <laughs> I, just, I saw a manta ray, a shark with legs, some fucking cats. I didn't see no wolves. And so Ski Mask with the flag on his chest and our, you know, cabal of, of the fellowship here escaped to a little cave. Fuck yeah, you said fellowship. <laughs> I'm really happy. And um, inside this cave are a group of people, you know, hiding from the terrors of the outside right now. And this man calls them the silent minority. Silent because if they made too big of a stink, the Destiny Man and his fucking terror squad would find them and, you know, do any number of horrible things. And the minority because they are very small in numbers in comparison to the, to the war parties outside. So Old Glory, I'm going to call him for now, seems to know the names of our, our fellowship here. So he knows who these people are, even though they don't know him. He says, uh, you know, I might not have been the guy that, that sent you this transmission. I don't know nothing about that, but we need your help. And I'm going to show you what's become of the land of the free. We come to this page with this giant ass map of the United States. And this map of the United States is unfamiliar to us. It has been broken up into eight different states. In the southwest, think like Arizona and New Mexico, we have destiny. A little bit further north of that, think like where Nevada and California meet, like northern California, northern Nevada meet. We have the code lands. A, a little bit further east, right in the thick of Montana, we have the new people. A little bit further east from that, right in about in the Dakotas, we have the Purple Mountain Kingdom. <laughs> I really hope these people are purple. I want, to see that. I want these purple people in the Purple Mountain Kingdom. I really hope they're all Smurfs. Do you think there might be a purple people eater? Yes. 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 This seems like the kind of book yes. where there might be a purple people eater. Uh, a little bit further east, think like Minnesota area, we have the Tempest Tossed. Where Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, uh, and Illinois used to be is nothing but water, the shining sea. And inside the Shining Sea, you see a little drawing of what seems to be like a sea serpent. Ooh. Which I can't wait to get Ooh. to that shit. Whatever, whatever kind of nasty thing is in there, I'm for it. 
Go down south, think like Alabama, Georgia, Florida. That area is called Knox. And in parentheses under Knox, we have dollar signs, dollar signs. So it seems like all the money right now must be in the south somewhere. In Florida? In Florida. <laughs> How the tables have turned. How the fuck? Go uh, figure. This America's fucked up. <laughs> Further west than that is the Red Glare. Think like northern Texas. Um, and there's question marks. I know exactly where that Red Glare starts. It's right in the Midwest, right near... Uh, place called st louis where they won the stanley cup recently oh boy so you I'm just wondering... had to throw that in there <laughs> fuck yeah i did first time on this on this podcast play I gloria i got to mention my hockey fandom captain is an enormous fan of the st louis blues hockey team and they are recent stanley cup champions so congratulations <laughs> uh so the red glare goes from northern texas through st louis area and this map that uh you know our old glory dude has drawn draws a path through all the different areas of the United States in a spiral all the way to the dead center of the heartland. And this map hangs on the wall of a room that Old Glory Ski Mask Guy calls the Oval Office. And it is here that he and this fellowship are going to make the plan. And he says the words, This is where the spiral walk will begin, all the way to the heartland. Turn the page, and Ski Mask Guy takes off his helmet, and he looks exactly like the Colonel Sanders motherfucker we saw earlier <laughs> in this issue, but with his hair down as opposed to, like, puffed up and tuffed up. And he's got, like, a scar on his face, like, cutting through his, like, lips and shit. And he points directly at the reader, and he says the words, My name is Sam. Sam Elgin. And I want you to save America. <laughs> and that's... See, he's Uncle Sam. <laughs> yeah. He's Uncle Sam. But who's to say... Messed up, war, war-torn war motherfucker, Rambo Uncle Sam. But who's to say that Colonel Sanders' first name isn't Sam? You feel me? <laughs> He's just as much of an American icon, let me tell you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's how our book ends. And what a fucking ride, man. What a crazy fucking thing. Where to even begin? This book has so much to say and takes so much from the modern headlines and twists it into this, this crazy post-apocalyptic version of America that we've never seen before. It definitely has some Mad Max vibes, but it's very distinctly American in its, in its presentation. And obviously, the addition of the like you know land-dwelling sea creatures is a <laughs> major change to the Mad Max mythos. The thing that stood out to the both of Captain and I this week was the world building in this issue is some of the coolest I've ever seen. Take this concept of building a wall, you know, something that we've been hearing in the news for the last, like, not even the last, like, three years, but, I mean, the last, like, 10 to 15 years we've been hearing about a wall. And imagine a world where the U.S. is completely withdrawn from the rest of society. Any number of things could have happened inside those walls. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And apparently this whole entire uh, removal of the United States from the global uh, conversation was eight years in the making. And after those eight years, they were cut off for 30. So this book is taking place 30 years after the wall has been built and everything's been cut off. And so these events that led up to this total shutdown go something like this. 
In retaliation for an endless series of escalating tariffs and trade wars that crossed multiple administrations, China called in its outstanding U.S. currency debt, causing an immediate devaluation of the dollar, inflation, and a brutal global recession whose effects were disproportionately felt inside the United States. At the same time, air wall force shield technology is being developed by Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, which is actually real. It's in Arlington, Virginia. They're creating a force field technology around the same time. And then, just after that is happening, the United States experiences a huge blackout. The power just goes out. And this is the last point. Seven years before the shutdown happens, Project Aurora begins in a facility just outside Leadville, Colorado, located at the highest elevation of any city in the United States. So, some really sinister things are happening here. We have a country that, one, experiences a huge recession, essentially a modern-day Great Depression, and then you have a very suspicious, sinister Project Aurora happening at one of the highest elevations in the United States, which is pretty fishy considering the virus is coming from the sky, Vinny. And there's five more bullet points, basically, that we don't know about that happened before the ceiling. The ceiling. The ceiling was the shutdown. Seal yourself. So... Project Aurora began seven years before the ceiling, and in those seven years, some really fucked up shit happened that further cut off America from the rest of the world, started a virus, made fucking, <laughs> made fucking sea creatures land-dwelling and giant, and caused all this to happen. So that is all we're left with. And if that isn't world building, then I frankly don't know what could possibly be world building. Yeah, Snyder and Sewell definitely give you just enough of this world to be really fascinated with the playground that we're in, while also forcing you to ask enough questions that you're going to have to pick up the next issue to figure out where this all goes. Because there's so much history baked into this story, and also such an uncertain future along the way, along this spiral walk that we're going to be going on mm. uh, going good forward. Use. I imagine this book is planning on running for a good five or six years, like that we're going to get a good like 60 to 70 issues out of this story, and maybe even more because there's so many different corners of the United States to explore that I could legitimately see this being like a Walking Dead type series where mm. it just goes and goes and goes and goes until it can't go anymore. But what I find most compelling about this book is that Snyder and Sewell took something from the headlines. They took this idea of a wall, of sealing yourself away from the rest of the world and withdrawing from the people around you. And in a weird way, this story kind of reminds me of Pink Floyd's The Wall. Oh. <laughs> and I just said the magic words for Captain. Uh, Floyd is his bread and butter. When you think about the wall, when you think about Pink Floyd's The Wall, imagine this person so insecure with themselves and so afraid of their own personhood and so afraid of affecting the people around them and how the outside world affects your internal person. 
and being so afraid of that that you build this wall around you to seal yourself away from the rest of the world because you believe that inside those walls you will be safe, that everything is going to be okay because all that's left is you and there's nothing else that could harm you. Well, guess what? The most awful thing that could ever harm you is yourself. And on Pink Floyd's The Wall, Pink's demons come out to play and get to the core of him and really do more damage to him as a person than any outside force ever could. And that's exactly what happens in Undiscovered Country. America thinking that the, the way to solve its problems is to seal itself off from the rest of the world and deal with those problems themselves. To take no foreign help, to give no foreign help, to just be America away from the world, and that's it. And you know what happens? It completely cannibalizes itself. It turns into this horrible, demonic wasteland of just bits and pieces of American life twisted into things that are so awful to look at. This idea to, like, seal yourself away and, uh, you know, everything will be okay is completely self-defeating. That's such an awesome theme to bring to this book about geopolitics because, you know, this is something worth being afraid of. And that, I think, is a really compelling uh, start to a comic. Like, that's a really awesome way to build a story. Well said. Very well said. So, on that note, that concludes our discussion of Undiscovered Country number one. Uh, thank you for listening to this part, and please go pick up that book. If you pick up one book that we've talked about since the beginning of this show, honest to goodness, I think I want you to pick this one up. I second that. Yeah. Uh, probably my favorite book we've read so far. And I'm a huge, huge X-Men fan, and that's a big statement for me. So with all that in mind, uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Thanks, guys. We'll oh, see wait, you. We're, getting a, we're getting a weird broadcast here. Oh, what the... Style. Power. Innovation. Respect. This is what the world sees when you drive the all-new Zenzanota 5000 Alcazando. It will take you from one place to another in 12 seconds. You can even dream about it. Its comfort is unmatched, and its grace will be exalted. Now bow, bow before Zenzanota 5000 Alpha Zendo. Buy me now, and experience the void as I do. Man, these transmissions just keep getting weirder. I don't even know. I give up. I give up. I, give I relinquish up. all control of this podcast to the powers that may be in this boom tube. The boom tube has chosen us for some of its stranger wavelengths. And I guess there's nothing we can do about that at this point, you know? Just, I give up. I give up. I give up. All hail to the boom tube. Hail all dark things. side. Hail dark hail side. Hail dark side. Dark side is. Thank you for that. Uh, Captain, uh, I think this next book is definitely something up your alley. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got that right. So why don't you bring us into our next issue, Ghost Rider number two. Our next issue is Ghost Rider versus 
Ghost Rider. And holy shit, this thing is the most fucking metal cover I've ever seen. Maybe not ever. But this is one of the most fucking metal covers I have seen in recent memory. We've got two dudes, not just one. We got two dudes with flaming skulls as heads. They're both wearing leather and spikes, and they're all chained up and <laughs> uh, punching each other, and they're on motorcycles that are on fire. Wow! Thank, thank you for that. Thank you for that beautiful <laughs> image you've just put in everybody's head. I think most anything any most people know about Ghost Rider is just his look. Like he's the probably the coolest looking fucking character in comic books. Yes, yes, this dude is totally my bag, baby. <laughs> um, I, I I'll be honest. I picked up this book, and the first thing I did before I read this book, I you know I poured myself a nice glass of wine. I uh, you know lit some ins lit some candles, got the the scene going, and then I played Painkiller. <laughs> I played the Painkiller album by Judas Priest, which is probably my one of my favorite metal albums, if not my favorite metal album of all time. That shit rules. Um, and what a great what a great album to put on. It's it's literally beat for beat the same thing. It's a the album is a is a is a man covered in chrome riding his his motorcycle through the depths of hell. Um, and the album is about this rider who eases the pain of the suffering in this hellscape. What an apt thing to play while I'm reading this fucking awesome book. Yeah, I don't think it gets any more fucking rock and roll or heavy metal than Ghost Rider. Like, he's just, he's clad in leather with a flaming skull as a head. He uses chains to whip people and he, you know, you know Ghost Rider's power, right? Do you know about that? It's the spirit of vengeance. Oh, yes, the spirit of vengeance. And the spirit of vengeance uses his penance stare to <laughs> stare into the hearts of man. And if you are free of sin, the penance stare won't do anything to you. But if you are not free of sin, you will be forced to relive all of your most awful moments in the split second that he's staring into your soul. That's so fucking cool. It's so fucking <laughs> it's so metal. Fucking cool. Um, uh, so, uh, all right. So let's get started. Um, so we are in a city somewhere. It doesn't quite say where. Probably New York because everything fucking happens in New York. A man is walking among the people and he says these words all around me. Sinners. The smell of them overwhelming my senses. Taunting me. Daring me to take them. To make them pay. But they don't deserve what waits for them. The punishment far outstrips their crimes. Besides, I'm not here for them. And then we look at some sniveling fuckwad lawyer type. You know, he just looks like a, he looks like a little shit. He's like carrying his coffee, his briefcase. Some like Silicon Valley type, some, you know. Some piece of shit. And it's like, I'm here for him. I'm here for this guy. The only one here not carrying mortal sin. Because he ain't mortal. He's already been condemned for what he's done. Vroom! No, please! This guy just goes right after him. Holds him up against the wall. And the next time we see this narrator, he is now a flaming skull leather, leather, leather dude <laughs> um, holding this fucker up by, his scruff, by the scruff of his neck. 
and he's like, you're going to pay for what you've done. And he makes him reveal his demon form. This lawyer dude, obviously, was a demon in disguise. And the, this lawyer dude is like, we wanted to live our own lives, us demons. We wanted to be away from hell. <laughs> Which is a really, you know, kind of an adorable image for a demon to want to live out of hell, to live his lawyer life, right? <laughs> so, wow, what a few opening pages we got here, Vinny. Um, the cover says Ghost Rider versus Ghost Rider. And we have two Ghost Riders. And in this first few pages... The Ghost Rider we see is not the classic Nicolas Cage one. It's a different, almost more Leather Daddy type of Ghost Rider. We do get a little bit of context, but Vinny, I, again, I, I'm kind of working with unfamiliar terms here. What can you tell us about this book going in? Yeah, so uh, I was kind of in the same boat as you not that long ago. I had never really read quite a bit of Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider was sort of like a white whale for me. Um coolest looking character in fucking comics you just make a moby dick reference <laughs> i guess i just made a moby dick reference um coolest dick. fucking we said dick again we said there it is there it is you can't escape the dicks in this podcast <laughs> but uh yeah i had been searching you know i had wanted a ghost rider comic to be cool and all i had ever read was just kind of like boring stories but fairly recently johnny blaze the classic ghost rider has been brought back to the forefront of the Marvel Universe. Um, I would say maybe a year or two ago, there was an event in a Doctor Strange book called Damnation, which was a really cool four-issue series that saw Mephisto, the devil of the Marvel U, uh, build a, a casino in Las Vegas and like a <laughs> hotel for like all of his demons to hang out at. It just, like, propped up from the depths of the earth one day. It was just, like, like a big fucking erection Las Vegas just had full of demons and, like, sin and nasty shit. I thought that's how Las Vegas really did start. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know. <laughs> ha ha, Vegas is full of sinners. Vegas ha, is full ha, of Captain sinners. Captain is funny. Sinners in <laughs> Vegas, thank you. Um, I'll be here all week. <laughs> Uh, doc but Doctor Strange assembled a team of like spooky characters to uh that were like familiar with demons and like the nether realm and Mephisto and all that kind of shit to, you know, take down the devil and uh save Las Vegas from whatever like hell was going to be unleashed there. So Doctor Strange assembled this team, which also included Blade, which is a favorite Marvel character of mine, and the Ghost Rider, Johnny Blaze. And in the plan to take down Mephisto, they send Johnny Blaze into the depths of hell, because he has access due to being the vessel of the spirit of vengeance, to take the vacant throne of hell. And with Mephisto gone, Johnny Blaze becomes king of all the netherrealm, all the demons possible, right? And that's how that Damnation series ends, with Johnny Blaze on the throne. And we haven't really had a chance to explore that yet. Up until this new series written by Ed Brisson. In the first issue leading up to this one, Johnny is sent on a mission out of hell back to Earth, back to where he feels most comfortable, to seek out and find demons that have been escaping hell and possessing the bodies of human beings. What I found out in that first issue of Ghost Rider was that there's actually more than one. 
Johnny Blaze is the original vessel of the Spirit of Vengeance, and a character we meet in Ghost Rider number one, who's also important in this second issue, is Danny Ketch. And with Danny Ketch is where our story this week continues. Captain? So, <clears throat> with Johnny having the demon in his grasp, we now cut away to Brooklyn, where Stacy, presumably is maybe an ex- um, I don't know, some kind of girlfriend. There's definitely some sexual tension because he answers the door. He doesn't have a shirt on. She doesn't protest it. She hands him a coffee. Uh, this seems kind of casual, so they're probably fucking. But <laughs> she's like telling him uh, that some dude got picked up by the Ghost Rider last night. This is fucked up. What are you doing, Danny? Also Aren't... Ghost Rider. <laughs> other, yeah. What are you doing, other Ghost Rider? But he says, no, like I... I would know if I lost control like that. I am not a passenger. Um, you know, the ghost, the spirit of vengeance may take control, but I am not completely out of control, which is a really interesting dynamic uh, that they're talking about here. But he basically says, no, that was not me. It must be Johnny. What the fuck is Johnny doing here? He was supposed to be in hell, right? <laughs> um, I don't remember quite inviting Nicolas Cage to my party here. Uh <laughs> And so, presumably, uh, Johnny Blaze took this demon lawyer back to hell to be terrorized by uh, jaw creatures with spears. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. It's literally like a crocodile <laughs> dude who's like, you should not have spat in the face of the king like that. And I'm just, I'm just surprised this thing can speak English. <laughs> um, and so these three other demons come in. They're like, get off him, you lackey. He serves the true successor. The only face he spat in is the face of our enemy. So these like blue demons, they're like these blue women with like pink tank tops and hats. What a look. Uh, <laughs> they tell him, you did good. They ask him, you saw him, the false king. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck off. Keep going. Stop drinking so much soda Keep before going. the podcast. I didn't have no soda before this podcast. You totally this time. did. You Talk totally about the Ghost did. Rider, motherfucker. You totally did. I. <clears throat> she says, "Did you tell him where you were headed? Where the others seek to go?" I didn't have a choice," says Demon Lawyer. "Good," she says. "You did good. That place is not a place for kings, false or not. That is a place I want him to go." Ooh. Ooh, so we've Johnny got a challenger. Is, is doing things he probably doesn't know he's doing. Ooh. We've got a challenger to the throne of hell while Johnny's up, you know, on earth, fucking around, trying to wrangle all these demons. We got some usurper down below. Ooh, blue go-go usurper. He's <laughs> uh, cooking up schemes. Schemes. Ooh. Devilish demon <laughs> schemes. Sexy demoness <laughs> schemes. Sexy demon go-go girls. Oh, yeah. Want the throne. And we cut back to Manhattan and we're on a cruise now, and the cruise is on fire. <laughs> so this doesn't look good. <laughs> we just want to be free, says somebody. You possess the bodies of innocent people, says Johnny Blaze, as he's holding, uh, presumably, another demon by his scruff of his neck. And just so we were clear, <laughs> Johnny, I think, only grabs demons by the throat in, like, chokeslam formation. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> we see it, like, four <laughs> times in this book of, like, Johnny just, like... 
Oh, grab you by the neck, you fucker. And he's pissed off. He's like, you possess the bodies of innocent people. And this demon's like, there's no such thing as innocent. Devoured their souls, Johnny Blaze interrupts. You wore their skins as though they were your own, so that you could walk Earth undetected. And you have the nerve to beg innocence? Please, please, says a demon. We cannot go back. It cuts back to Danny. And Danny's at a bar. And he's like getting a call. They're saying you gotta go. This you gotta go and stop him. You gotta go stop him from doing uh, probably the right thing. It kind of looks like he's doing the right thing. Am I wrong, Vinny? I, I love the juxtaposition, like going back and forth between this like metal as fuck like Ghost Rider shit, where he's like choke slamming demons, and then like boring ass Danny in a bar, like taking phone calls and talking to his ex girlfriend. <laughs> you know, it's just like it's such a weird. Obviously, Danny Ketch is the lamer of the two Ghost Riders <laughs> yes, here, you yeah, know? Yeah, 100%. Definitely not King of Hell, too busy, like, drinking his sorrows away. Yeah, like, <laughs> wh what? You're, like, way too cool to be working as a barback, man. <laughs> and so Danny gets this call, and he's like, This is a job for lamer Ghost Rider. <laughs> B-tier Ghost Rider. <laughs> Diet Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs> and so he zooms off quite literally in a in a uh in a blaze of glory. In, yeah. In a blaze yeah. of like diet glory. <laughs> it's instead of like vroom, it's not like, quite it's like vroom. Vroom. <laughs> Just five calories, not metal enough. <laughs> and so Johnny Blaze is, you know, wreaking havoc on this ship. He's like confronting these demons. And they are demons, folks. Like he's not making any mistakes. These are Legitimate fucking demons disguised as human beings. And, you know, his whole argument is that these demons, by taking control of humans and essentially damning them in a way, he's really saying you have not rehabilitated. You have not proven yourselves worthy of this life. So I cannot grant it to you as king of hell. Just because you want to be, you know, saved and human again and, you know feel like you've earned your earned your place back in the world and done your time, you know. What you've just done is bad enough to send you back to the fiery pits. Exactly. And honestly, I don't I don't quite disagree with him, but he's basically like I am the king of hell and I am your reckoning, he says. And as he's saying this, a chain whips across his wrist. To chink yeah, that's nice. the word. To chink, to chink. It's actually more like. Thank but, you for. But you get the. You thank get you the, for clarifying. A our, chain our wraps around his wrist. Okay, fuck you. <laughs> and he's like, Danny, Johnny, have you lost your damned mind? Get it? Because because we're talking about cause... hell and demons and things. <laughs> and so this part's weird to me because Johnny's like, no, wait, man, like these guys are bad. Like I'm doing my thing. And uh, Diet Coke Ghost Rider tackles regular Coke Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, everyone out now! And he basically, like, saves these demons or something. And so as this is happening, we do cut outside to where the police are, because they're obviously informed of this weird Ghost Rider shit happening. We see this officer, and he's basically ordering his troops to shoot any Ghost Rider, because at this point, it's just a little too hard to tell between Coke and Diet Coke. 
I mean, and who can and, blame him, dude? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like shoot the guys with the flaming skulls. You know, pretty, that's pretty, pretty easy. To, yeah, pretty easy to advise someone to shoot someone with a flaming skull ass head. Um, <laughs> and so we see a child's hand poke the butt of this police officer. Yeah, I said it. He poked the she butt. She touches the butt. She touches the butt. And there's this little cute. There's this cute little girl. Blonde hair, blue twinkling eyes, with like half her face bubbled and scarred and awful. And she's like, Can I borrow you for a moment? And the officer's like eyes light up. He's like, Gook. And then we cut back to the fight where Diet Coke Ghost Rider is getting his ass whooped. And rightfully so. Johnny is way cooler looking, I gotta say. I mean, at the beginning of this issue, he's got, like, a red polo on and, like, orange sunglasses, and he's got, like, long, flowing hair, and he just looks like a bad motherfucker, you yeah, know? Yeah. You already know <clears throat> this guy's cool. And Johnny is, like, floating above him with his flaming-ass head, and he's like, Can you not see it? Are you so far in denial about what you are that you refuse to see what's in front of you? That you can't see these demons for what they really are? So apparently, like, Diet Coke Ghost Rider Danny Ketch is having, like, spirit of vengeance erectile dysfunction, <laughs> where, where it's not all working all Dang. the time. He can't he can't quite get it up and, like, use his powers to see through these, like, demon disguises. He's he like, can still, you know, turn his head on fire, and he knows how to ride a motorcycle, too, but, like, all his good powers are, like, limp-dicked right now. Yeah. He's like, I would have known it. I would have seen it. But he didn't. So Johnny abandons him and starts running away. He's going to continue his conquest, trying to catch these escaped demons. And Diet Coke Ghost Rider pursues him in his burning motorcycle. And they chase each other through Manhattan. And it's fucking awesome. There's like chains flying everywhere. And they're like doing these like stunts across buildings and, and uh, badass like regular Coke Ghost Rider goes up the like Brooklyn bridge on the suspension cables. And it's, it's really one of the coolest fucking panels of the week. I got to say, and I'm going to two motorcycles going up the bridge. I'm going to quickly shout out the artist on this issue. Aaron Cooter is someone I've been, I've been watching for quite a while now. Um, he got his big break on a couple of Superman titles that just looked absolutely gorgeous. And ghost rider cannot be further from a Superman book. And he found ways to make, uh, you know, the sense of the sense of scope and just like metalness, you know, destiny, Go, destiny, you know, like every every frame of painting in this book at certain moments. Um, this shot of the two ghost riders riding on the suspension wires of the Brooklyn Bridge is I want it like blown up and like framed yes. in my house. It's yes. so fucking cool. Well, and the, the art style kind of changes here, too. It becomes a little more photorealistic. And that's how I knew it was the Brooklyn Bridge is like. I guess it changes at this point to make it more recognizable, but also kind of capture a different mood. It looks like a photograph of the Brooklyn Bridge at night with the rain falling. Like, it really captures this mood in this book of I mean, hell and darkness and, uh, you know, retribution. The somehow. fires within, yeah, you know, yeah. like shit like that. And... Uh, Cooter does a really, really amazing job. You're playing with probably the coolest visual character in the Marvel Universe, and he goes balls to the fucking wall in, like, a lot of these pages. So, um, to continue, Captain, please go ahead. So, Diet Coke catches regular Coke at the top of the bridge, and regular Coke ensnares him with these flaming chains. He's like, I did not want to do this, but you forced my hand, and I'm stripping you of the spirit of vengeance. 
And so Johnny Blaze drops Danny off the top of the Brooklyn Bridge. And Danny falls into the water. Doesn't die. He falls into the water. Well, actually, he kind of looks dead. <laughs> Look at the page. Splash! I don't think he's him. dead. It shows him, and his eyes are, like, rolled up. I don't know, man. I know he's probably not dead because this is a comic book. But, like, his eyes are rolled up into his head. Who knows? And like, really, like, do we need, like, four Ghost Riders? You know, like, this guy's obviously lamer than King of Hell motherfucking <laughs> Johnny Blaze. Like, get him off the board, maybe. But I doubt it. Yeah. And so, as Danny drifts into the depths of the gross fucking... Uh, Hudson, Hudson Waters. waters. <laughs> gross. <laughs> gross fucking Hudson Waters. It says, to be continued. And that's the end of issue two. Um, Vinny, something I really, I may have touched upon it a little earlier, but I definitely want to bring it up now. I didn't find myself rooting for Diet Coke Ghost Rider, even though that seems to be, even though the narrative seems like he is the protagonist and Johnny Blaze is the antagonist, I can't help but feel like I'm supporting King of Hell Ghost Rider. Yeah. I, and, and I think uh, we're probably supposed to feel that way, right? Because he's sort of fulfilling his responsibility. He's on Earth. He's capturing his own citizens. He's, you know, enacting his own justice as king. Does that not feel wrong? Does it? Do you feel the same way? I mean. No, I mean, I totally get you. I, it seems like the story they're setting up in this Ghost Rider series seems pretty. Like, I feel like I've got a good grasp on it. You know, Johnny's feeling like a hot shot. He's king of hell. He's got a ton of power in his hands. Like, on top of, you know, being the the vessel for the spirit of vengeance, Johnny's also king of hell. You know, so he's feeling like pretty, pretty fucking badass right now. And you've obviously got some usurpers in hell trying to take the throne back from this, like, earth man. And uh, Johnny's probably going to spend a lot of time up on the surface. His throne's going to be overtaken in hell. He's going to lose some shit. And Danny's going to have this, like, retribution arc to, like, you know, prove that he has earned his keep as the other Ghost Rider, the not-as-cool Ghost Rider, <laughs> and try and, like, even the playing field a little bit, which is fine. You know, pretty standard superhero fare, but... Well, especially when you have two of them. Yeah. But I think where this, where this issue really shines is the, you know... Ghost Rider to me has always kind of been style over substance. Yes. And mm -hmm. this book has the style in fucking spades. And it kind of proves that if you've got a, a kick-ass artist like Aaron Cooter and a cool character to work with, you're going to be able to tell stories that, that catch the eye. And uh, I love this plot thread of like, you know, Johnny Blaze fucking demon hunter, you know, is pretty fucking cool. And, you know, really, this is this kind of reminds me of the Darth Vader book that we read last week. This is pure fucking comic fun, you know? Yeah. You picked up a book because it looked badass, and it continued to look badass. And really, I got exactly what I wanted out of it. I wanted to see some fucking hellfire and some chains and some fucking demons. And I got it in spades in this fucking issue. And you know me, dude. I'm a, I'm a good little raised catholic boy so stories about like <laughs> hell and demons and sin and damnation they fucking like tickle my 
tickle my fancy. Your dick? Oh. They tickle my dick and my fancy. They tickle my fancy <laughs> dick. Um, when you and your, uh, you know, your executioner stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Big fan of the like, you know, medieval domination. What did, what did Brianna say it was? It was. Uh... It's called. They're called stocks. Stocks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm little, here for good that little shit. Catholic boys into stocks. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I kind of love this this concept of like you know being able to see sin in people and in demons and like that page early on is pretty cool and he's like I know this is a demon because they have no sin because they are no longer mortal mm. you know um, there's a lot of cool aspects to this character and you know I'm gonna kind of ride this wave for a little while the story doesn't have to be super compelling you just have to write strong characters. And Johnny Blaze is written really strong in this this issue. Yeah. And, you know, maybe by the time uh, this arc's over, I'll feel the same way about Danny because, uh, you know, who doesn't love a good redemption arc? Right. I would be, I am way more fascinated by the King of Hell story and this guy going on Earth to literally reclaim his citizens to the rightful domain of uh, eternal suffering. <laughs> Like, that's pretty fucking cool. And a very unique take on Ghost Rider, who has never been... I don't think he's ever been a leadership role, you know? Yeah. This is a really cool new status quo, and it at least makes these worth reading, you know? Yeah. It's not the same old shit of just, like, he rides a motorcycle, and he doesn't like people who sin, you know? Like, cue Judas Priest. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I have to do that. Um, you know, and this this was kind of my weekly fix of fucking heavy metal. And, yeah. you know, this book shreds and it shreds right along. And all of a sudden the ride's over. You know, the this solo's done. It shreds, it wails, it screams, it's screaming for vengeance. Get your Ghost Rider issue number two now. And now, after our break, we are going to be looking at Legion of Superheroes number one. Oh, yeah! Introducing Extra Strength Blue Cube. You got problems? Blue it. You have a failing marriage? Blue it. Child support got you down? Blue it. You have an elderly relative who's in the hospital because they have a terminal illness, but the hospital keeps taking your money because they're not treating them correctly because they're incompetent? Bloom them! There's nothing extra strength Bloom Coop can't bloom. Use it in the shower or on the go. Extra strength Bloom Coop will bind you forever. Extra strength Bloom Coop. Never stop boobin, and will never stop goobin. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We are back for our final segment of the day, a book that I am super stoked about. Legion of Superheroes number one from Brian Michael Bendis and artist Ryan Sook. Bendis. Bendis. You just love. You don't even know who this fucker is. You just love I've saying that name. I've definitely read one of them. One you've of read stuff. You've definitely had to have read at least a little bit of Bendis at some point. 
Yeah, the name is definitely familiar. Um, remind me, like, what, what else has he done? Yeah, so Bendis, I'd say for the last 20 years or so, has been the major writer over at Marvel Comics. Bendis has touched pretty much every corner of the Marvel Universe, has written almost every hero you could possibly imagine. Probably his most famous works are his Big Avengers story, Secret Invasion, where all of the Avengers were replaced by shape-shifting scrolls. And his most seminal work was definitely a very long run on Ultimate Spider-Man, which kind of was a, uh, a retelling of Spider-Man from his teenage years all the way through adulthood uh, that started in the early 2000s. That series is responsible for introducing uh, Miles Morales. Oh, okay. Um, you know, hero of Into the Spider-Verse. He's hit every major, major corner of the Marvel Universe. And finally, after a 20-plus year career over at Marvel, um, sometime last year, Bendis uh, switched. <laughs> Bendis went over to DC and has been writing the Superman books for the last year and a half, has been writing Young Justice, uh, doing his own kind of like young readers imprint over at DC, and finally setting the stage for the long-awaited return of DC's cosmic teen future team, the Legion of Superheroes. Um, I'm loving Bendis's uh, DC work so far. A lot of people complain that he's a little wordy. Um, when you read Bendis books, that's like word balloons on word balloons on word balloons on word balloons on word balloons, Ooh, and people okay. are like talking across each other at all times, and it can be a little confusing. But honestly, uh, I can't think of anybody more perfect for a Legion of Superheroes book than Bendis because of that. Hmm, interesting, because I did notice that there are a lot of pages where the bubbles sort of uh, collide with each other, so to speak, and you don't really know quite where everyone's talking, but you're just supposed to assume it's a little chaotic. And that's These okay. are teenagers. They're going to yeah. talk over each other. And there's like 40 of them in the same room. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> no um, way just one of them talks. Yeah, no way. They're all talking all at the same time because they're all important. Yeah. You know, fucking fucking millennials, right? <laughs> God. <laughs> um So, with that in mind, uh let's talk a little bit about the Legion of Superheroes. Uh Captain, do you have any background on nope. the Legion whatsoever? Nope. You came in totally cold. Yep. Cool. So, history lesson time. Ba -ba 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 I just know that there are way too many of them. There's way too fucking many. That's sort of the joke. The Legion of Superheroes were first introduced in an issue of Adventure Comics in the late 1950s. Um, one of the most iconic uh, comic covers of all time is Superboy, a teenage Clark Kent, um, meeting these group of teenagers that are trying to induct him into their, like, superhero club. And the three of them are Cosmic Boy, Lightning Lad, and Saturn Girl. And on the cover of this issue, they tell Superboy... Uh, we've decided that you uh, can't join our club because your powers are boring. <laughs> you know? Um, it's like, that sounds like basically every Superman hater today. Right? Like, they're like, he's, he's got too many powers. He's too strong. It's literally fucking Superman. Like, get over it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, as you read that, as you read that issue, um, Superboy and the three members of their legion become good friends. And over the course of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the adventures of the Legion of Superheroes and Superboy were like uh, Superman's teenage years. You know, those were the friends that he hung out with. It was the first time he met somebody that was like, you know, just like him. Because all the kids in Smallville were like puny weaklings. 
but these kids, you know, had superpowers, had superpowered problems, you know, and uh, Superboy liked hanging out with them. And that was kind of the status quo for years. And Legion stories are wacky, zany, kooky, like charming, cheesy sci-fi stories. You know, we talked about the Fantastic Four last week and how their kind of um, campiness is part of the charm. Legion is the same way. And so, long story short, the Legion grew and grew and grew, and its membership got crazy. It's like the Teen Titans on crack, like, in a thousand years in the future, right? Yeah. We've got characters from Lightning Lad to Cosmic Boy to Ultra Boy to the Karate Kid to, like, derpy fucking characters like Chlorophyll Boy and, like, Matter Eater Lad. Who's that in this book? Uh, I don't know if I saw either of those two. The Karate <laughs> Kid is real. in there. Karate Kid's in there. He he's a prominent guy. Um, but I haven't seen Matter Eater Lad yet or a uh, Chlorophyll Boy, and uh, but I definitely <laughs> did see Bouncing Boy, who's one of my favorites. He's this <laughs> rotund guy who like turns into a giant rubber ball and and you know bounces. Ba- and he bounces. <laughs> <laughs> he just bounces around. And those are the kind of people we're dealing with. Um, but I've been the most excited about this because it's going to be the first time since I've started reading that I can read an ongoing Legion book. So with all that in mind, uh, Captain, you ready to jump into this with me? Go right ahead. All right. Issue one opens up with a chase. Real exciting stuff. We're on planet Gotham in what? the Bloodhaven sewer system. You did not mishear that. He said, Planet Gotham. Which, it sounds terrible. <laughs> it sounds like the worst possible fucking place. It's like Newark, but on a global scale. <laughs> if, like, Newark, like, broke off from New Jersey and became a planet. Oh, God. That's what that shit's like. Uh, please go on. Yeah. <laughs> We're following Ultra Boy, who is chasing down this ship through Planet Gotham. The ship crashes, and he's in search of a certain item. That has been stolen by like a gang on planet Gotham, right? These awful fuckers called the Horaz. Actually, they're a demonic gang. Yeah, Ugh. we're back. <laughs> we're back, baby. Fucking demons. And Ultra Boy tracks down the package that he's trying to find. He's like, oh my god, it's real. And as soon as he says that, blam! Big old pink explosion. And you're like, oh fuck, what the fuck's happening now? And this voice from inside the pink smoke says, child boy. <laughs> Which is how I'm going to refer to everyone from now on. And this this deep, like, metallic demon skeleton wizard comes out of the pink smoke. And he's like, this thing, do you know what it is, what it can do? And he's like, do you know who I am? And Ultra Boy's like, yeah, I know, dude. You're, you're Mordru, the demon gangster. Like, I know you, fucking weird guy. Right. And then he's, like, you know, doing villain shit, like, I am Mordru, I am evil, and then he's interrupted by uh, a group of the Legion. And they come in, like, classic superhero entrance, and Mordru's like, who dares? And shows up the Karate Kid, and he goes, we dare, you know, (laughs) us. And then one of his buddies is like, dude, don't do this whole, this whole fucking shtick, this, like, superhero shtick, like, let's not do it karate kid's like i am the karate kid look at me with my karate powers and he's like come on dude like just do it with me like let's go and the other guy's like fine i'm wildfire of the legion of superheroes (laughs) they go through their whole like you know introduction and it's a whole thing 
And Mordred is like not having it. He's just like, I'm going to turn into a big pink cloud because I am death and I am evil and you will not bring shame to my pinkness. You know, and then superhero fight ensues. You know, some good shit. They defeat Mordrew and recover the package. And Ultra Boy opens up the package to reveal what he was after this entire time. Aquaman's package? trident. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Aquaman's disembodied nuts. <laughs> no, we, got the, we got the shaft, no the problem. <laughs> oh, the, the, the shaft was preserved. The In balls were long lost. The balls were long lost, <laughs> but the shaft remains. They were taken by the depths. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure Aquaman probably calls his penis his trident. You know, do you think it's got three prongs? He's a fish man, kind of. Jason Momoa, please answer this question at live from the boom tube. Yeah. Please, please answer this question. I I am now very curious. To Jason know. Momoa, please tell us about your penis. Yes. Thank you. All right. <laughs> to, to continue, they recover Aquaman's trident because Ultra Boy's got some plans for it. So cut to the next page, and we jump to New Earth in a conversation between Saturn Girl and Superboy. So Saturn Girl and Superboy are having a conversation. Saturn Girl's like, I know this is all crazy. We just like picked you up from your time and brought you to the future, and I know I'm pretty, and you're thinking weird thoughts about me because I'm a telepath. Um, but chill, everything's going to be fine. We're going to ease you into it. You know, we've got a presentation to show you about, <laughs> you know, I've got a PowerPoint prepared, uh, nice comfy chairs in the classroom. So, you know, what's going on in the year, like 3019, it's all going to be fine. And she starts taking them on the tour of the new world. And Superboy is kind of our vehicle in this issue. You know, you can kind of put yourself in Superboy's shoes in this, uh, issue of Legion of Superheroes. Cause you don't know really what's happening either. You know, you're being introduced to like 50 new characters and it's all and a new world and a new future and it's all kind of nuts. So, Captain, it's totally OK that you were like, I don't know what the fuck's going on here because neither did Superboy, you know, and the rest of this issue sort of plays out like a setup for the rest of Bendis's Legion run. Superboy is introduced to like 50 Legionnaires um, and is taken on a tour of New Metropolis. New Metropolis is an entire city, an entire planet. Uh, dedicated to the Legion of Superheroes. It's like their home base because there's so many fucking Legionnaires, they have to have a whole goddamn city to like keep them all together. So, as to your prior question, I bet you fucking Chlorophyll Boy and Matter Eater Lad <laughs> are, are, are around somewhere. Chlorophyll Boy! They probably live in some like <laughs> shitty rundown apartment, you know, like uh, maybe have like a couch and a couple of plants because he's, you know, Chlorophyll Boy. <laughs> um... Is that his power? He just, like, photosynthesizes? <laughs> yeah. His fucking thing? I, I mean, I would imagine so, you know? He's using the powers of the sun to, like, you know, control plants and shit, you know? Chlorophyll boy! <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot happening at every moment of this issue. We talked about Bendis, like, word bubbles before. In this instance, it really works because Superboy is being talked at by, like, 30 different people and you're just like, and Superboy's like, oh, fuck, I need to, I need to just, like, fly away and, like, see everything for myself. Um, so he sees New Metropolis. He's like, wow, what an amazing thing. But then finds out that that's all that's left of the original Earth. That Earth, due to some disaster in the past 1,000 years, has been relegated to a core and a couple of, like, satellite cities attached to the Earth. 
The Earth's oceans are gone. Its major land masses are teeny tiny. And that's all that's left. And Superboy's like, well, fuck, dude. If this is how bad it is, like, we got to go back in time and save the Earth. And the Legion's like, yo, dude, we did save the Earth. <laughs> this is what's left. <laughs> we had a presentation. We were going to try to do this, but you, <laughs> you don't sit still, Superboy. So obviously, Superboy's got a lot of questions. What happened? If there's a metropolis, where's Gotham City? We learn that Gotham is not a place that anybody's allowed to go, especially Legionnaires, because they're all teenagers. They're not old enough to go to Gotham City. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like Gotham's probably just like flooded with like strippers and like drugs, you know, and like, you know, gangster wizards. As in more so than it was before. Before. Um, and way less Batman. And he's got a lot of questions, and they're like, please, just listen to the goddamn presentation. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> I love this presentation that they apparently have. <laughs> His joke is really funny, and it worked. It worked for me every time. Do we ever see it? No, we never actually <laughs> we never get the presentation. You're just thrown into it. You're just gonna be like, "Yeah, we'd like to tell you everything that you need to know, but you know what? Just fucking read the book and forget. Let it happen. You know? Yeah. Um. So after all this, everything kind of settles down, and Ultra Boy, the Karate Kid, and Wildfire return from their mission, uh, rescuing Aquaman's trident. They're like, oh shit, I totally forgot Superboy was coming today. Well, hey, guess what? We've got Aquaman's Trident. Everyone's like, is it real? Like, I don't know that's real. And Superboy is like, yo, man, my dad's like buddies with Aquaman. Uh, that's the real deal. One of the Legionnaires asks Superboy, he's like, hey, is your dad really best friends with Batman? And, like the original Batman? And Superboy's like, well, actually, my dad's best friend is my mom. And they get this, oh, like, sweet moment. This, like, adorable, like, very genuine thing. And this, like, you know, heartwarming little gesture is interrupted when the Horaz come back into play. They followed Ultra Boy um, through, boom, I guess, boom tubes. I don't know. <laughs> through, like, teleporters to Legion headquarters. And are trying to reclaim Aquaman's trident. And that's where we leave off with our heroes. In a whirlwind of an issue. Cut to the final page of the book at the United Planets headquarters, where some evil-looking woman has found out that the Legion has brought Superboy back from the past and is not happy about it. And we don't know why. We don't know why, one, she's not happy, and we don't know why the Legion brought Superboy to the future. Um, hopefully something that's going to be uh, illuminated in the coming issues. All we know is that she is titled Madam Honor President. <laughs> Just Madam like, Honor President. Add a bunch of fucking adjectives in there, like Madam, uh, Madam Honor Secretary, uh, Defense General, uh, Savior, Savior Dictator, War Leader, uh, President Lady. <laughs> Um, and that's the end of the issue. And it was a fucking whirlwind of a time. Uh, Captain, what were, your, what were your big takeaways from this issue? I think my favorite part about reading this book was the language all these like, teenage superheroes have. It was, very, um, it was very realistically written, honestly. Like, if there were a bunch of teenagers all in one place and like, they all had superpowers and they were only surrounded by each other, this was... This is basically to a T how they would talk to each other. It's very openly uh, satirical. They're kind of openly making fun of themselves as this book goes on. 
there's this whole bit with the presentation that everyone has watched, but Superboy does not get to watch because it would it would help us out so much. There's a lot of um, remarks like about how certain things are really stupid. Um, just very fitting language for a group of young adult superheroes that have, you know, no supervisors, no rules, just, hey, welcome, hey, we're hanging out. Yeah, this book feels like organized chaos, you know, the kind of thing that would, if a bunch of teenagers got in a room and tried to tell you about, like, all their lives all at the same time, it would feel like this book does. Yes. And that's not a slight against this book, it's kind of the joy of this book. That there's always something new, always something fresh to look at, always something new to learn. You know, you don't have to understand everything all at once. Uh, you just have to come along for the ride. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how it, how it all shakes out. Captain, did you enjoy your first Legion book? I did. I did. It was another one of those books where I just kind of turned my brain off and had some fun. Sort of similar to Ghost Rider and uh, Darth Vader last week. Um, not, a, not a whole lot for my mind to like bite into. But that's totally fine. I am so okay with just these fun little issues. And especially when we're tackling shit like Undiscovered Country. <laughs> <laughs> like, less than an hour before, it's a, it's totally a relief. I like it when things are self-aware. I like it when, uh, if you're paying attention as a reader, you'll kind of realize when the writer threw in, you know, a joke or something. Um, that that's This book is filled with that. Yeah. So very fun book this week. Uh, really glad we got to talk about it, and I'm very excited to see where it goes going forward. Um, that's about going to wrap up our show for today, everybody. Um, after the show, I have a presentation to show Captain about the anatomy of Jason Momoa's penis. <laughs> oh, um, wait, you have your own? I have my own presentation. <laughs> I've been planning it for weeks. I actually called Jason Momoa ahead of this podcast because I knew we were going to be talking about his dick tonight. You talked to Jason Momoa? Well, I didn't necessarily talk to Jason Momoa as I he put me on the phone with his, like, three-headed penis. The trident, he calls it. Um, you mean three-pronged? Yeah, it's all going to be in the presentation, I promise. It's a 35-slide it's a, like right, right, right. PowerPoint right. about the logistics of the, the, the tri-pronged penis. 35 slots. 35 slides. Is 35 whole-ass slides. whole-ass slides. Did you cover his ass too? Oh, did, did I? Did you ever? cover that Momoa ass? Did I ever? <laughs> All right then. So Vinny, these are our books for episode five. Can you believe that we're already on episode five of this motherfucker? I can't believe it, man. Wow. We've been doing this for a month and more. Wow, wow. So wow. those of you that have stuck through to episode five, thank you guys so much for listening. Glad to have you back again, Captain. Give us the books for next week. Yeah, yeah. Bless you very, very much. Thank you so much. Um, So, our next three books are going to be from DC Comics. We have Far Sector Number 1, which details a story about a female Green Lantern. From Marvel, we have Morbius Number 1. Uh, if you don't know who Morbius is, he's basically the Spider-Man villain who is a vampire. Um... That's basically it. He's just like, <laughs> it's as simple as that. He's a fucking vampire. Uh, we did a Google image search before this. So I'm looking at him now and he's, he's a freaky dude. Um, that book is by Vita Ayala. So looking forward to that. 
And then third, we have My Little Pony Friendship is Magic number no, four. No, <laughs> we're not doing My Little Pony, Captain. <laughs> no, I, I, want a, I want a nice change of pace. I mean, tell them about the actual book that we're doing. We're not. So, we're not doing. Keep friends, your keep your My Little Pony fetish to doing, your bedroom. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't we don't shame kinks in 2019, Mister Mister Executioner Lock thing. Yeah, that's right. That's me. That's me all over. Sorry, no. man. If you want to be a brony, do it. I'm I'm not, just so everyone knows. <laughs> so we're clear. <laughs> just so we're clear. Tell them about the real book that we're covering next week. We're covering this book called Family Tree Number One uh, by Jeff Lemire, who I actually really like, about a family that has to go across country uh, after their eight-year-old daughter turns into a tree. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> they have to figure out what the fuck to do. Uh, I guess I don't know, man. Not not for not for you. No, not. But we don't talk about that. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. We are so excited to come back next week. I am Vinny, and we... I'm the brony. Oh, I thought it was the brony over <laughs> the here. The brony guy. Oh, I thought I was the My Little Pony <laughs> guy. You know. Tell him who you are. I'm. I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I am Captain. <laughs> And that's going to be our show for today, guys. Thank you so much. I'm going to go and play Death Stranding oh, now. Oh, we're about to go do that. So we got to jump out of the boom tube real God, quick. Yeah, real quick. All right, ready? Ready to jump ready? out of the boom tube? It's yep, your turn. Your turn to do the jump out of the boom tube. Ready right, to do, do it? it? Ready to do it? Okay. okay ready? Ready? Live from the boom tube.